But I want this book to uh, to reach all Christians uh, from college um, uh, uh, readers, uh, college um, uh, students, and up, and to know who Calvin is, and to have a little bit of a step-by-step guide on reading the 1559 uh, Institutes mm-hmm. so that it will make it easier for them. If, we, if, if they want to pick one topic from the Institutes, let's say um, uh, the Lord's Supper, right? Um, uh, so they can read um, my, my chapter first and then get a little bit of a, a, um, a summary, uh, if you may. And then um, from there, they can go to the Institutes and see the the bigger and more in-depth uh, explanation that Calvin um, uh, wrote. So that's my intention in, uh, in writing this book. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic reform tradition delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. No. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, sponsored by Lagos Bible Software, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today, we're doing a book club episode on John Calvin. And it's published by Yudha Fiantro, and it is uh, published, it's written by Yudha Fiantro and published by IVP Academic. And we'll jump into this episode here in a moment about John Calvin. It's an explorer's guide to John Calvin. And if you go to our show notes, you'll see a link to IVP. Click that, get this book for yourself. IVP's done a lot of works with us. So we've had a lot of episodes with their books. So about halfway through this episode, you'll actually hear an ad uh, from IVP about how to get some books with a discount through our show. And then also some other information about the other bridge builder organizations uh, that we have, some um, words from our sponsors halfway through the show. And then if you also want to be a uh, bridge builder yourself, you can click that Patreon link and find the different levels of giving options to our show. And we're really grateful for uh, anything that we get um, to keep our show running and going forward. Uh, You'll also see some information about uh, how to communicate with us. Uh, My name is Nick and uh, my co-host is Peter. And we uh, have been doing this show for a couple years now and we'd love to get feedback from you guys, uh, any questions as well, and you, you can contact us. The easiest way is through email, uh, guiltgracepod at gmail.com. You can also interact with us through Twitter, at guiltgracepod is our handle there. We're also on Instagram, same handle. And then you can um, contact Peter directly if you are interested in learning about his church planning efforts in Southern California. And then um, also, you can find that link to find the closest reformed denominations near your area. So there's a link in our show notes. It's through Nay Park. Uh, you can click that link, type in your zip code, the closest reformed denominations, whether it's OPC, URC, PCA, among others, 
will come up near your area so you can find one to go to yourself or refer to another person. So uh, yeah, without further ado, I think we'll let Peter further introduce Yudha Theantro, and I hope I pronounced your name right. I didn't ask before we recorded. I probably should have. <laughs> I'm sure I'll I'm sure I'll mess it up, but we'll ask him right after this. <laughs> so we have Dr. Yudha Tianto, uh, who's a professor of history uh, of Christianity and Reformed theology at Calvin Theological Seminary, previously of Trinity Christian College. Uh, he's author of The Way to Heaven, Catechisms and Sermons in the Establishment of the Dutch Reformed church in the east indies in the 7th century or 17th century and most recently an explorer's guide to john calvin so we're very excited to have you on and first question is how do you pronounce your name well thank you thank you nick and uh, peter uh, my name uh, is pronounced yuda tianto so the okay. d is uh, hard and the t is hard that's that's what i that's what i kind of figured the t was uh, was hard Yes, I'm, I'm glad I got at least part of it right. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So how's how are how are things going? How's your transition going? And I, I know you were at Trinity Christian College up until recently. You just got the job at Calvin. So how's how's that transition going for you? Well, the transition has been uh, good so far. Um, uh, yeah, um, uh, I was a professor of theology at uh, Trinity Christian College for 21 years, uh, oh. but I went to Calvin Seminary, got my master's and my PhD from, from Calvin Seminary. So uh, just um, uh, beginning from 1st of July, very recently, uh, mm -hmm. I moved uh, back to Grand Rapids um, and I'm very, I'm very gra uh, grateful and I'm, uh, I'm glad that I'm here. So if you see that uh, behind me, the bookshelves are still not very well uh, <laughs> arranged it's because i just moved here yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it's a season a season of move. i mean we just moved about a month ago and nick moved in november so it's it's a season of moving right now so it's <laughs> you're yeah. you're in good hands with with disheveled bookshelves right now yes thank you <laughs> i feel better <laughs> <laughs> yeah so maybe do you, you, you talk about this in your book it's kind of your first chapter uh, amongst it's kind of sprinkled here and there um, in your book, but maybe tell our, our listeners a little bit about yourself, some of your background, and what got you interested in, in uh, John Calvin? Yes, uh, very good. Yeah. Uh, I was born and uh, grew up in Indonesia. Um, born uh, from a Christian family, and uh, I'm already a third generation Christian. Uh, and it's important to mention this because if you know a little bit about Indonesia, it's the fourth largest um, country in the world um, with the, the, the largest Muslim population. Hmm. Uh, uh, Indonesia has um, more Muslims than all the Arabic nations combined. So majority Muslim uh, um, population. Uh, so as a Christian, uh, uh, I grew up as uh, as minority. So oh. so that's that's the dimension of of my faith journey and my personal experience that I always like talking about. So uh, um, as a Christian, uh, I always always every day, right? Growing up in Indonesia, I always had the uh, the the opportunity to 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 share the love of God without preaching, to be a neighbor, to be a Christian neighbor to my Muslim friends without having to preach with, my, with, with words, but in action. So anyways, back to my Christianity, growing up uh, in, in a Christian home, 
Uh, and also, if you know a little bit of the history of Indonesia, Indonesia was a Dutch colony for almost 350 years. Yeah. So the, uh, the, the kind of Protestantism that came to what is now Indonesia in those days, uh, it was called the East Indies or the Dutch East Indies. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the, the kind of Protestantism, the first uh, Protestants that came to the East Indies were uh, the Dutch Reformed, um, uh, together with uh, the Dutch's um, effort to... Um, uh, to monopolize the, uh, the trading of spices. So if you read my first book, The, the Way to Heaven, that's where I um, laid out the history of um, the early uh, Protestantism in, in the East Indies, all right? So, but uh, uh, back to the 20th century, um, uh, even the Christianity I was born in was uh, um, very much influenced by the Dutch reform. So for instance, I grew up singing the um, the Genevan Psalms. Um, hmm. The church where my parents were married were built by the Dutch and finished in 1753. Wow. Right. So imagine a, 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 a big dome church with the two towers. Yep. Uh, um, think about St. Paul's Cathedral in London, huh. but much smaller uh, in a smaller scale very Baroque um, uh, style uh, with the cruciform um, architecture. And the highlight of the church is the organ, the, a, Baroque, a, 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 a literally Baroque organ with the pipes all brought in from the Netherlands. So that's how I grew up and very rooted in the, in the Reformed faith. Um, the, um, the worship style, the liturgy, uh, the teaching, the catechism, uh, they were all rooted in the uh, in the Dutch Reformed um, uh, uh, branch of Protestantism. So that's how I grew up. I went to a Christian school, and it was in high school that I first encountered Calvin and the Institutes. I still remember I was a, a, a junior in high school, and my my um, uh, my Bible teacher talked about Calvin and the Institutes, and I remember. Uh, as I read, uh, not, not the whole institute, of course, I was too young to do that, <laughs> but as I read some parts of the institute, I saw the echoes of what my church did. Hmm. For instance, on, the, on baptism, on the Lord's Supper, I thought, hmm, I know where it started, right? So, so hmm. something clicked in my mind, and I was so excited. Uh, and uh, so I wanted to, to learn a little bit more about Calvin, but again, um, uh, um, I was still very young and not having a whole grasp of, uh, of, um, of the institutes. But then uh, I went through college and after college, I went to a seminary in Indonesia and then went to Calvin Theological Seminary. So mm -hmm. here at Calvin Theological Seminary was uh, 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 my first exposure to the uh, the 1559 edition of Calvin's Institutes. Yeah. It, in fact, it was among the first courses that I took uh, at Calvin Seminary. Hmm. And then everything became clear. I enjoyed reading Calvin and I, I was very much into his theology. And I, I was um, uh, in in heaven, so to speak, uh, because now I see it uh, uh, more clearly. Um, uh, all my, my upbringing, all the, the, the uh, church practices, uh, the, 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 um, the theological upbringing that I had found its source hmm. 
and so um, I was very much into uh, uh, reading Calvin and um, my professor uh, all through my master's and uh, my PhD, my mentor is Professor Richard Muller, mm -hmm. uh, who is, um, uh, I should say, the number one expert. He's the, he's the guy. It's... He is. He is. Yeah. Of, uh, Calvin and uh, um, uh, Reformed Orthodoxy. I am blessed to have studied uh, with him, under him, be mentored by him. Yeah, so yeah. that's my background. And so uh, why do I write this book? It's because I want to share my joy and excitement to the readers and not just to theologians. I have written um, uh, uh, academic uh, works, uh, academic articles, um, um, all these uh, years of teaching. Um, so that, that's one segment of my audience, the, the academic uh, community. But I want this book to, uh, to reach all Christians uh, from college um, uh, uh, readers, uh, college um, uh, students and up, and to know who Calvin is and to have a, a little bit of a step-by-step -step guide on reading the 1559 uh, institutes mm -hmm. so that it will make it easier for them. If, we, if, if they want to pick one topic from the institutes, let's say um, uh, the Lord's Supper, right? Um, uh, so they can read um, my, my chapter first and then get a little bit of a, a, um, a summaries, uh, if you may. And then um, from there, they can go to the institutes and see the, the bigger and more in-depth uh, explanation that Calvin um, uh, wrote. So that's my intention in, uh, in writing this book. I love it. Yeah. And um, now that we bring it up and this, this, this may be, this may be kind of hard, um, but as concise as you can manage, can you give our listeners and you talk about this, this is kind of the first half or so of your book and um, a little bit of biography of John Calvin, kind of an outline of the life of John Calvin when he was born where he went, his education, and, and where he ministered, all that stuff. Very good. All right, let me try. All right. Uh, so the first thing that I want to uh, emphasize here is that Calvin was a Frenchman. Mm -hmm. And his Frenchness permeated in all his works and his writing. Uh, you know, uh, uh, if you know a little bit of his history, then you can see, ah, oh, that's why he, uh, I, now I know uh, why he said what he said, right? Yeah. So, but back to, back to his background. Uh, Calvin was born in Noyon uh, in, the, uh, um, um, in the region of Picardy in the Northern France. Uh, he was born on July 10, um, 1509. So uh, two days ago was yep. Calvin's birthday. Yep. Uh, in fact, today is um, uh, July 12th and at Calvin University, we are about to uh, celebrate um, uh, Calvin's birthday. Uh. Uh, right after I'm done with this interview, I'll go there. <laughs> right. awesome. So yeah. uh, it's very fitting. All right. Uh, so uh, Calvin was born in Noyong uh, in 1509. Um, so you can see here that when you look at the history of the Reformation, uh, uh, Luther, October 31st, uh, 1517, you, uh, um, uh, that's our date for the Protestant Reformation. And you see that Calvin was only eight years old uh, uh, when the Reformation happened. So we call Calvin uh, a second gener uh, generation uh, reformer. Uh, anyways, back to um, uh, uh, his childhood. Calvin, of course, grew up within the, the, the tradition of the, uh, the teaching of the Church of Rome. So this was uh, slightly before the Reformation. Um, uh, his father was very much involved uh, in the church uh, in Noyon, and um, his father first wanted him to be a priest. 
So this is important. So uh, uh, later we will talk about Kelvin uh, studying a law, but uh, his earliest years uh, were preparations for him to be a priest. So, so his father even got a little bit of a, a, a stipend uh, in, in modern terminology is a stipend uh, for Calvin to uh, to study and uh, the um, um, uh, the expectation was that Calvin would work as an uh, as a, a, a altar service and, mm -hmm. uh, at the church. Anyways, uh, so um, uh, Calvin um, grew up in that kind of education, and then uh, as he was uh, growing older, he, he started uh, um, uh, studying outside of Noyong. Uh, he um, he went to uh, College de la Marche uh, in in Paris together with uh, with uh, some. Um, some children of a rich family. So basically, Calvin was able to get some um, funding because of the connection with the, uh, with the rich family. Okay. Now, uh, uh, then uh, um, they went to um, the College of the Montague, uh, still in Paris. And that's where uh, Calvin and, of course, the other uh, students received the liberal arts education. Now, this is important for, for, um, uh, for uh, the audience, the modern audience to understand what is the seven liberal arts education. The, the liberal arts education is divided into seven um, um, uh, curriculum. Uh, the, uh, the, the first three are called the, the trivium, and then the, the, the last four are the quadrivium. The trivium mm -hmm. are grammar, rhetoric, and logic. So uh, 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 Latin grammar, and then rhetoric, uh, a speech on how to speak. Uh, and to write persuasively and also logic. So this is the foundation. Once you are done with the, with the trivium, uh, then you move to the quadrivium, uh, the four, and these are uh, arithmetics, geometry, uh, music, and no, I I can look can it up. You stop this. Can, can, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Uh, I'm, I'm throwing a blank. So this uh, it's, uh, it's, I th yeah, it was astronomy. So arithmetic. astronomy. I'm so sorry. Yeah, astronomy. Yeah, yeah. Arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. So <coughs> these are the four. Uh, so you can see here it's the combination the the combination of the uh, uh, of of science. Uh, astronomy is science of of their day, right? So, so the, the, those are the seven liberal arts um, uh, uh, education. Now, somewhere along that time, uh, uh, Calvin's father changed his mind and he wanted Calvin to, uh, to become a lawyer. Yeah. Now, uh, one possibility of why uh, his father changed his mind was because uh, the life of a lawyer uh, would be um, uh, much better for Calvin. He could be wealthy. Basically, mm -hmm. but that's just one dimension. There was another added dimension that quite possibly that during that time, around 1531 or so, uh, Calvin's father had a quarrel with the church, up to the point that he was excommunicated by by the church, hmm. and so because of that personal problem that Calvin's father had, then he changed his mind and said, okay, Calvin, it's better for you not to be a priest, uh, but uh, be a lawyer. So anyways, uh, whatever the reason, he, um, uh, uh, he changed uh, direction and he um, uh, started to study uh, um, uh, law. So first he went to Orleans um, and uh, 
there he he studied uh, he started to study law and then he went to Bourges, the, um, uh, where he further uh, developed his understanding uh, and his study of law. And um, I think what's very important and what monumental is his move to College Royal in pa Paris. So College Royal uh, was connected to the University of Paris, uh, the Sorbonne, if you know um, uh, the name mm -hmm. Sorbonne. So in those days, Sorbonne was uh, very much um, uh, supporter of Rome. Now, remember, uh, uh, this was already in, um, in the 1530s. So uh, Luther's Reformation was well underway. So I want to put this in the context of the history of the Reformation so that you can see, right? 1517, now this is 1530s, uh, already about 13 years of the Reformation movement. So the, there were already um, uh, divisions and separations um, uh, in, in, in Europe. So uh, Sorbonne was very much um, um, supporters of, of, of Rome, but Calvin and his uh, friends and some of his teachers were very much persuaded by the teaching of the Reformation. So uh, this is uh, a pivotal. And there uh, at the uh, University of, of Paris that he, um, uh, he also embraced the teaching of French humanism. Now, this is important to explain also, what is humanism? So humanism was a movement that was already started before the Reformation. And the big point about humanism is this, the, the, the slogan, at fontes, or back to the source. And that is the, uh, the passion to go back to the sources. So Think about this, the church at that time um, was pretty much enclosed in Latin, right? Mm -hmm. Latin was the main language of the Western church, but the people, um, uh, uh, I'm talking only about Christian humanism at this point, right? Only about the Christian human humanism. They started to realize, well, uh, actually the languages of the Bible was not originally Latin. So with the spirit of humanism, of, of going to the source, they wanted to go back to the sources. Now, uh, um, generally humanism wanted to go, to, uh, to go back to the sources of Greek and, um, and Roman cultures. So you see all the revivals of, of the, uh, uh, the, the study of, of uh, Greek and Roman philosophy, uh, um, uh, ancient uh, philosophy, and so, on, and so on and so forth, right? So now, for the Christian humanists, uh, the reading of the scripture in the original languages, um, Greek and Hebrew, was central. Mm -hmm. And that's why, so within this movement, so back to Calvin and his friends uh, in Paris, uh, going back to the sources, meaning also reading the Bible in Greek and Hebrew and not just accepting uh, Latin as the norm and also as the, uh, as the only language of the church uh, in their time. So uh, these were all coming together and that shaped Calvin's, um, uh, Calvin's view. Um, from there, of course, uh, um, there was a big um, uh, problem at the University of Paris. Nicholas Cobb, who was the rector of uh, the University of Paris at that time, uh, was very much um, uh, into the Reformation, and he stood more on Luther's side of the discussion and uh, uh, um, in his speech on November 1. Uh, 1535, um, the Sorbonne didn't like Cobb, and 
there, there were a lot of struggles and Cobb had to flee Paris and Calvin also had to flee Paris. So that's uh, between, uh, um, um, and, um, between then and 1534, 35, Calvin went to Basel and that's when he started writing the Institutes. Mm. Uh, the, the first edition of the Institutes was um, um, uh, published in 1536. So that's uh, 1536. Now, I, I will stretch this a little bit to uh, later in the summer of 1536, Kelvin was on, uh, um, on a trip um, uh, between uh, France and Strasbourg. He wanted to go to Strasbourg, but that night there was a war between Charles V and Francis I that um, prevented Calvin from going directly to Strasbourg. He wanted to make uh, a detour just for one day uh, to stay in Geneva. Now at that time in 1536, Geneva had also declared itself uh, as Protestant, um, uh, this, they, they, they severed the, the tie with Rome and then um, Geneva um, under the, the leadership of Pharrell decided to be Protestant. So that night when Pharrell learned that Calvin was in Geneva, he made Calvin stay. Calvin's main intention was just to be a writer. He wanted uh, a, a quiet life, um, uh, almost like a retreat, uh, uh, um, um, an extended retreat, um, um, writing and thinking. But uh, Pharrell um, um, told him, you must help our cause for the Reformation here. And Calvin could not say no. And mm -hmm. so that's the beginning uh, of Calvin's stay in Geneva. I can go much longer than this. I'm sorry about this. Uh, it's no. uh, too detailed, okay. but uh, I want uh, the audience to, uh, to see the background of where Calvin got his education and mm -hmm. uh, how he, um, uh, he was also influenced by, by his time. That Calvin was not just um, uh, an overnight sensation, mm -hmm. not that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah and that, that kind of, that leads me into this, this next question too. I think people forget about his background and just assume like one day he showed up and he's just this brilliant theologian um, he's writing the Institutes. They forget kind of his background, which is his training. And you also hear this stuff like, well, he's not a trained pastor. He was kind of like a lay guy and then and learned this. But like he like he had a ridiculous education, um, classically trained, and then learned the language is kind of on the side. Um, but your your bio of his life shows him, like you said, in, in, in quite a different light. Who's And he's and maybe if you can talk a little bit more about his kind of pastoral career as he transitions into this, too, uh, where he's not just a, an ivory tower theologian he's actually a loving pastor he's concerned that his people know christ and grow in his likeness so maybe as as we kind of move into the 1530s 1540s um can you give examples some stuff you talk in your book about what life was like under calvin as a pastor yes this is a great question uh in the heart of his heart calvin was a pastor he wanted his people to know the word of god in their native tongue, in the language that they understand. Now, again, I already said that uh, for the Western church at that time, the language of the church was Latin. Now, of course, uh, Luther already um, uh, did a big work on this, translating the Bible into German for Luther, and uh, so that the, uh, the people could read the Bible in the vernacular. And Calvin took what Luther started and uh, his emphasis on 
the use of French. Now, Geneva um, was and is a, a French-speaking region in, in Switzerland. So, so uh, and remember, I already said that Calvin was a Frenchman. So his Frenchness is very important here. Okay, so now uh, uh, Calvin wanted the people to speak French in church and worship in French and hear the word of God preached in French. Now, because Geneva had is, uh, declared to be a Protestant region, so the expectation is that for all people to, um, uh, to go to church every Sunday and they will hear all the liturgy and especially the preaching preached in French. That's important because the transition, I, I also want the audience to understand here that the transition from, uh, um, from the, the culture and the theology and the practices of the Church of Rome into the Reformation happened over time. It takes a long process. So Calvin insisted that people must, number one, hear the word of God preach in French, and also people must learn how to pray the Lord's Prayer in French. Again, did the people pray the Lord's Prayer before the Reformation? Yes, they did. What language did they use? Latin. Did they understand what, what they said? No, they didn't. So the excess of this is what? They treated the Lord's Prayer in Latin, the Apostles' Creed in Latin, as magical spells for good luck, for protection from harm. So what is the basic teaching of the Bible became a foundation for superstition. That was before the Reformation. So now Calvin as a pastor insisted, insisted that the people must at least be able to say the Lord's Prayer in in their native language, uh, say the Apostles' Creed in their native language. So an average Christian in, uh, in Geneva at that time uh, were instructed um, uh, to, to, to always go to church, hear the sermon, meaning, uh, of course, not just the sermon, but the whole liturgy of the church. And also when they have children, they must send their children to catechism uh, at noon on Sundays, where they receive the education as Christians. Now, at the same time, though, I also need to emphasize that because it is still in transition, also wanted the people to live morally according to the teaching of the Bible. And so he um, uh, uh, wanted uh, the, the Church of Geneva to have the consistory. And what is the consistory? The consistory is the body uh, of church leaders and also the Geneva City Council leader uh, to, um, to make sure that the people live as Christians, go to church re uh, regularly every Sunday, uh, um, um, maintain a peaceful life as Christians, and staying away from sin. So the consistory um, uh, was this body, um, and uh, they met every Thursday, where people who did not follow what the church wanted must come and appear before the consistory. Now, if you were one of those people, and you are called, and your, your wrongdoings were exposed, you wouldn't be happy. No matter who we are, we wouldn't mm -hmm. be happy. 
so so uh, the the consistory um, um, often got a lot of bad reps because of that but i can understand why kelvin wanted this because kelvin wanted the people to live as christians and mm -hmm. it takes process and as leaders the church uh, the church leaders must impose on this again because of the nature of transition at that time and to instill the understanding of the people. So that's one side of what Calvin did. But also as a pastor, Calvin was very, very much caring. He cared about uh, he, um, uh, the people who were struggling. If you read many of his uh, letters, I, I um, included that in one of my chapters, is that uh, he wrote to a father who just lost a child, um, uh, 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 whose child just died, or a husband whose whose uh, wife just died, and he wrote, "Well, I I myself uh, uh, could empathize." I, 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 he didn't use the word uh, um, empathize. This is my modern uh, word. Uh, I hope you understand that. But but what I'm trying to say here is that Calvin showed that he himself struggled uh, with the uh, uh, with sadness. Um, uh, with um, uh, uh, when when his wife died, right? So so he was able to relate to the people at where they were in the day to day struggles. So this is also something that I want to highlight so that um, um, uh, you can understand that Calvin was not just a theologian who kept writing and disagreeing with people. No, not that. His day to day life uh, uh, was a day-to-day -day life of a pastor. Yes, of course, he lectured, he wrote, he preached, but that was not uh, to the expense of the pastoral care that he gave to his, um, uh, his people. Hey, all, this podcast and this episode is brought to you by our main sponsor at Logos Bible Software. According to a recent survey, 30% of evangelical churchgoers want more in-depth teaching. So if you are among those who want to go deeper into the word, Logos is the Bible study platform for you. Logos also fuses some of the most powerful technology available with biblical resources. You can access all sorts of commentaries, Bibles, up-to-dates, seminary-level courses, and even audiobooks right on your phone, tablet, or desktop. It has original language resources, which I, Peter, use on a very consistent basis. So it has a great resource on Septuagint, Septuagint resources, the Masoretic text, which is the Hebrew, and a lot of Greek New Testament work as well. So if you guys are interested in that stuff as well, you guys can head over to logos.com slash guilt grace, because with us, Logos is now more affordable than ever. You can get started at just $49. So head on over, find yourself a package, and join us with Logos Bible Software. Hey guys, a quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Reformation Heritage Books. We've partnered with them and they've partnered with us to try to push a couple of their uh, published books. One of them is the 10 volume series of William Perkins, who a 16th and 17th century reformed writer, wrote commentaries on Galatians, Revelation, uh, wrote The Golden Chain of Salvation, some incredibly influential works in reformed theology. Also, the Family Worship Study Guide, which gives you quick little snippets, about a paragraph each of all 66 books of the Bible, each chapter in those books. So it's really good for family worship. And also, they have basically every major publisher uh, in the world. They sell their books at cheaper than Amazon 
uh, sells them. So if you guys go to heritagebooks.org, drop a line that Guilt, Grace, Gratitude sent you and purchase their books, we'd be grateful and you're supporting a great cause. Yeah, and RHB Books is the largest confessionally reformed publisher in the world, and they publish historical and modern works on a consistent basis. So you can find them on Twitter at RHB underscore books and on Instagram, Reformation Heritage Books. Yep. So go on over there, get these books. There's so much good stuff coming out and hopefully this is good. Hey, y'all, this is Peter Bell. Are you or someone you know looking for Reformed Church in Orange County or the Orange County area? We've got a growing core group, San Ana Reform, meeting Sunday afternoons. We'd love to have you join us as we work towards starting official worship services beginning in summer of 2022. If you or someone else you know like to be part of a Reformed Church from the ground up, hear the gospel preached from all of Scripture every week, and enjoy sweet fellowship, contact us at sanaandreformed at gmail.com or look in the show notes. I hope to meet you soon. Hey guys, thanks to our uh, really awesome friends at IVP, both IVP Press and then their academic imprint, IVP Academic. If you guys go to their sites and put in GGG22, you will get 30% off and free shipping on on these four series, Explorations in Theology, Studies in Christian Doctrine and Scripture, New Studies in Biblical Theology, and Essential Studies in Biblical Theology, and any book we've had from one of those two imprints on our book clubs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is the IVP Press, any book club we've done with them. And uh, for example, we've done some of the ESBT series, and that's kind of more of a concise version off of the NSBT series. Uh, And uh, Ben Glad has been kind of orchestrating the ESBT series. It's just phenomenal. Um, very enriching and edifying. So I, I would say go ahead and try to get every single book in that series alone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get the whole set for 30% off with free shipping, which that's yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty dime off of your, your total thing. Um, but these, I mean, these are volumes like in the NSBT series, like Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of Laura from Michael Morales, mm-hmm. The Dominion Dynasty, Temple and the Church's Mission. So all these like really big books that you guys know of. Uh, if you guys look through our catalog on book club and anyone that's through IVP, you guys get this off. I know Nick's really yep. been enjoying the ESPT series. I would say it's just a, it's a shorter volume. Yeah. It's, more, it's concise. more concise. Yeah. Uh, gets right to, it's a little bit more popular lay level read. Yeah. So there's like four different levels. There's one that's an easier read, a slightly more academic, a really academic and like a highly, highly academic read. So yeah. again, any one of those copies that you guys want to get any series, any portion of it, Anything that you guys want to get, 30% off and free shipping if you guys use the code GGG22. So, happy shopping. Yeah, this is good. It's it's such a good background for people that are um, either have never heard of Calvin before or just um, average Christians that are like, yeah, I've heard of John Calvin and, you know, he did some stuff. And I think he's the guy that came up with predestination or tulip, which you cover in the beginning of the book, talking about how that's the initial kind of response. When you say, who's John Calvin, people say, well, he, he explained predestination and uh, the, the thing tulip is tied to him. And that's whether that is uh, correct or not, you kind of go through that. 
But this is so much more than that in his background and what he went through. And it wasn't an easy life or anything like that. And there's a lot of historical context going on. And, um, and also he's following in the footsteps of Luther pretty well. And, and even being uh, trained as a lawyer, Luther as well, you know, just being trained as a lawyer. Uh, initially, he was uh, going, going to be a priest uh, based on what his father wanted to do, then changed his mind, went to be a lawyer. But then um, his training as a lawyer and a humanist, and you defined the term humanist beginning in the show, so thank you, um, did help his life as a theologian, author, professor, and pastor. Can you explain that a little bit more? Sure, of course, yes. Uh, let me start by uh, talking about the, uh, the hum- uh, Calvin as a humanist first, right? You see that because of uh, his humanist um, uh, uh, background, he dig deeper, right? Or he dug deeper, deeper into the into the scripture, um, reading the scripture in the original languages to be able to explain what the scripture said. So that's one thing. Now, uh, uh, his uh, training um, as a um, as a lawyer also uh, help us see. So, for instance, in his explanation of justification. So uh, central to the salvation uh, in, in, the, in the doctrine of salvation uh, uh, of, um, um, that, that Calvin explained is that uh, when we receive salvation, we receive double grace, justification and sanctification. Now, justification is not what we do and we can never do. So this is back to, uh, back to Luther, right? Justified by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. So. What is justification? Justification is God's declaration that you are forgiven, that you are not sinners because of Christ's redemption. So uh, Calvin wrote that in justification, instead of having God as a judge who will judge and condemn you because of because of all your sins, you have a father who loves you so much, who has sent his own son to be your redeemer, who died on the cross, who rose again, who, and who redeems you. So this is a, a, a legal terminology. Can you see that? Uh, it is a courtroom uh, scene. When, when you think about justification, think about the judge who took um, uh, the gavel and said, not guilty. This is beautiful. So when the judge says that you are not guilty, do you go to jail? No. You are a free person. So that's justification. And this is God's work, nothing that we can do or that that we ever do will ever measure to God's judgment. But God as our father, and, uh, you know, uh, of course, uh, in in this case, also the judge tells us we are not guilty. So that's justification. Can you hear uh, the the, the legal language here, right? But at the same time, then, uh, uh, once we are justified, we also live in a sanctification process, right? Sanctification is a process. It's lifelong. This is all the calling for us to to be like Christ, 
to be obedient, to worship God, to love neighbors, to um uh, uh to to express our faith in our day to day life. That's sanctification. But uh, first, justification uh, uh, is the key here because then you can see that once justified by God, we are justified forever. And we are safe in the hands of um, uh, our triune God. So uh, I hope I, uh, I can show you a little bit here of how the, uh, the legal training humanism um, uh, uh, became a foundation for Calvin's theology. Yeah. That's great. Um, and then <clears throat> just the kind of the structure layout of the book, the first half is your background and bio on Calvin. And you even start the book saying that you're going to introduce us to your good friend, John Calvin. And people are like, wait a minute, that's a 16th century theologian and, and we're in the 21st century. How's that possible? But he's shaped your um, theological life so well that you do, you bring him out and you say, I go to Calvin all the time. So um, you, this is, this is the best explanation of the background of Calvin that I've come across as a, as a lay person. And also the second half of your book is an outline of the institutes. And if you guys haven't really understood what the institutes are, it's four volumes of, of him, uh, the institutes of Christianity and, and him unpacking all the, the justification, sanctification, all the doctrines that you could possibly think of. Um, and so you actually have a helpful outline and guide to the institutes. Um, I've personally tried to read through the institutes and I, I've yet to finish them. Um, and and know it's a rigorous kind of read also just based on the, you know, the form, the, the format of the writing style back then as well. Um, so that's a helpful guide. How are the institutes structured in general, and what is talked about maybe uh, throughout your book? Thank you. Very good. Yes. Uh, so um, uh, the ultimate edition of the institutes, the fifteen fifty nine um, edition of the institutes, um, uh, is divided into four books. So the the uh, the uh, terminology is uh, four books, and that's what, what Calvin used also. So when, when uh, Calvin wrote in 1536, it was a slim book in six chapters. It became four books. Um, uh, uh, so that's, that's a massive, massive work. Now, the division. So uh, the, the, the four books are, are arranged within these topics. So the first book is the knowledge of God, the creator. The second book is the knowledge of God, the redeemer. The third book is the knowledge of the application of the, of the work of Christ, the redeemer for our life, our salvation. And then the fourth book is um, on how we live once we have been redeemed. So in book four, Calvin talks about the church and the, uh, uh, and the, the government and how we should live as Christians, as children of God. Okay, let me go back uh, to a more detailed explanation of each book. So first, Calvin starts with the, um, the book on the knowledge of God, the creator. The first line uh, in the Institute says that all wisdom, and that is all true wisdom, consists of two 
parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of self. So this is the beginning, the first line of the institutes. And this is something that I want the audience to always remember. When you think about Calvin and the institutes, think about how Calvin structures his theology based on knowledge of God and knowledge of self. On these two hang all these other theology or theological topics. Knowledge of God, of course, first, uh, when you think about God for Calvin, God is our creator and also our redeemer. So the knowledge of God is divided in, into two parts, knowledge of God, the creator, and knowledge of God, the redeemer. Knowledge of ourselves is that we are created by God. We were created good, and then we fell into sin, and that's why we need to be redeemed from our sin. Can you see that? Knowledge of God, knowledge of self, all connected. And if you look at knowledge of God, the creator, the creator creates us. And then knowledge of God, the redeemer, the redeemer redeems us. So I have a, a, um, a diagram in, uh, in my book uh, to explain this. Um, my, my students at Trinity Christian College love this diagram. Every time I teach Calvin, uh, uh, I showed them this diagram and they said, yeah, that makes sense now, right? So, uh, so the first book is uh, Knowledge of God, the Creator. And of course, within this Knowledge of uh, God, the Creator, Calvin talks about creation. Calvin talks about uh, God's um, uh, revelation, uh, general revelation in nature and uh, special revelation in scripture and God, the Trinity. Um, and uh, how we can know um, the Trinity based on the revelation that God has given us. So that's the first book. The second book is Knowledge of God, the Redeemer. But of course, in order for Calvin to talk about redemption and Christ the Redeemer, we must know uh, uh, about our fallen condition. So the beginning of the second book is Calvin talking about us, about human beings, about our fall into sin, and our inability to redeem ourselves. So if you read uh, the second book of the Institute, you go back to the, uh, to the beginning of the Reformation again, right? Uh, Luther and his emphasis on justification by faith alone, because good works will never save us. No matter how much good work we can do, we can never save ourselves, no matter how much we follow God's law, the, the Ten Commandments, we can never save ourselves from our sin because we are so wretched in our sinfulness, right? And that's why we need Christ and how Christ um, uh, redeems us. So there uh, in book two, Calvin also talk about uh, the humanity of Christ, the divinity of Christ, and and uh, the work of Christ. Now, the, the third book is the application of the re of redemption. Can you see that? All topics here link um, uh, very, very closely and, and very logically. So um, uh, when you read Calvin step-by-step step like this, you start saying, oh, now we know that we are sinful. Now we know who Jesus Christ is. Now the, the third book is about how Christ's work is applied to us. 
And for Calvin, the most important uh, uh, point here is the work of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, when I talk to, um, uh, to Christians they, uh, um, who, who don't understand Calvin, they say, well, Calvin doesn't have the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I said, oh, wait a second. Read book three of the Institutes. Uh, he talks about the, the, the main and the most important work of the Holy Spirit is what? To connect us to Christ. Because without the work of the Holy Spirit, we will never be able to get the application of Christ's redeeming uh, redeeming work um, uh, uh, in his death and his, in his resurrection. So here, uh, uh, union with Christ, how we are united with Christ. And in, um, uh, in our uh, uh, faith, then we are united with Christ, All right? So that's book three uh, about, about redemption. And also in, it is in, uh, in this connection that Calvin talked about uh, predestination, uh, election, and so on and so forth. And then book fourth is that... Um, we live as Christians. So um, this is the gratitude part of our Christian life. So uh, uh, God has provided the church for us uh, uh, to grow in faith. Uh, the, Calvin talks about the sacraments, um, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And these sacraments are the signs um, and the seals of God's grace toward us. And of course, um, uh, Calvin explains uh, how he differs from Luther, from the Church of Rome, and so on and so forth, and also how we should live in the community. Our relationship with the government, how we deal with the government, that's in book four. So can you see now that uh, the Institutes um, uh, is one whole work that guides us from the beginning to the end on how we should uh, uh, should look at our relationship with God and with each other. So here, what I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing is that Calvin's work is about this relationship and the knowledge, right? Knowledge of God, knowledge of ourselves, and how we are united in the church. The key, the central key is covenant. There, and, and this follows the Old Testament, right? So, so Calvin always starts with the Bible, I want to emphasize this also, that Calvin didn't just generate a system of theology out of nowhere. Not true, right? Calvin starts with the Bible, explaining what the Bible means within the framework of, um, of his theological view. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And here, here is the... the yeah, for those watching diagram. YouTube, there's a, there's a little sneak peek. If you guys, if you guys want to see the... the this famous chart in front of you, you got to buy the book, but if you guys want to look at the, uh, the YouTube, we have that Nick is putting up the chart on his, uh, the yeah, the knowledge of God and knowledge of self yeah. chart right there. <clears throat> um, funneling down to wisdom. So that's good. Um, so, so Calvin, Calvin wrote treaties, sermons, letters, commentaries, lectures, and then the institutes that you're talking about. And he had a desire for people to read his work, specifically his commentaries, sermons, lectures, and institutes. Um, but they are interwoven together. They're not, they're, they're distinguished from each other, but they all relate to each other. And a good example of that is, um, I think you, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, because I recently read this. Uh, you're saying like the commentaries, obviously he's going back to scripture. He's explaining scripture really detailed uh chapter by chapter verse by verse 
very detailed commentary. And then you have alongside it, at the same time, the institutes. The institutes are a little bit more polemical because they're going against mischaracterations, uh, misunderstandings, arguments, um, and that kind of thing. That, so, so he's trying to explain. Um, so is that correct? Is there any other ways that um, these, these works of his all relate to each other? Yes, well, this is an important question. Uh, yeah, all Calvin's works must be seen together, right? We, uh, uh, if we only read his institutes, we lose sight of his uh, Bible commentaries and, and his sermons. Well, uh, uh, that's why we need to, to see them together. Now, um, uh, to your question, um, uh, I should say that when Calvin wrote his commentaries, he wanted the commentaries just as the exegetical explication of what the Bible says. No polemics, no fights with um, uh, different uh, 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 people with different views, only exegetical work. But of, also, uh, he has the, the, his lectures that were later, uh, or in his time and also uh, later, were, were uh, uh, published as, um, as books. So today, especially in, uh, when you look at Calvin's works in English, uh, Calvin's commentaries in English, uh, they are not uh, separated, but if you uh, read my, my my chapter there, uh, you will see that um, uh, they are distinguishable. But anyways, the 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 commentaries and also the uh, his his uh, uh, lectures were all about just pure explanation of the Bible. In his lectures, he was extemporaneous. Um, uh, he didn't um, uh, cite his sources. He would just explain as a teacher, right? So you can see the difference there. His commentaries are more um, uh, uh, academic um, where he has his sources and so on and so forth. And as you said, the, the, the institutes um, is his theological, his big theological uh, uh, work where he addressed differing opinions um, uh, with others. So, so uh, from 1536 to 1559, Calvin, uh, Calvin's institutes became so big, right? It, uh, um, uh, he kept adding. And of course, uh, the additions, some of them were caused by his disagreements with other people and in the institute. And this is probably what makes the uh, reading the 1559 institutes uh, a little bit difficult is because there's so many arguments with, uh, with people that uh, modern Christians do not know, right? So why is talk Calvin talking about this and that? Uh, yeah, who are the libertines again? And why are the libertines the, the, op uh, the opposition at this point? So uh, it, it's rather, um, uh, sometimes it, it's rather complicated. Right? But anyways, uh, uh, that's the nature of the institutes, um, uh, lots of polemics. Now, his treatises are mostly individual subjects where he wrote about a particular few. Uh, so, uh, oftentimes, he had um, uh, an opponent in his mind. So let's say his treatise on the Lord's Supper, for instance, he, he was explaining his view on the Lord's Supper, and he had Luther um, uh, as his as his uh, partner in dialogue and also a friend an, or, or a person with whom he was arguing. So uh, uh, that uh, uh, you need to see the different kinds of, of, of the work, a genre, if I may, uh, um, of each work. But again, uh, if possible, try to read all his works together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, before, yeah, before next last question, I thought it was interesting. Um, we read, 
institutes and we read his commentaries. I'm, I'm reading his commentary on Galatians now as I'm preparing to, to preach Galatians and it's great. Um, I've, I've read a bunch of modern stuff and it's still, it's like, it's even 500 years after Calvin, Calvin's stuff is still like, it's, it's still tip top. It's, it is, it is incredibly good compared to, to most stuff. And maybe, um, yeah, if you can, if you can describe more, um, yeah, it's, it's not so much like new is better. It's, it's, it's good is better. And Calvin's commentaries are his lectures, his sermons. Um, he, like he knew his stuff. It was not like, he's just kind of flying by the seat of his pants. He knew his stuff. Thanks. Yes. Very good observation there. Um, Peter. His commentaries again, when he wrote his commentaries, he had his sources, his training, right? He was, uh, deep in the medieval style of, of, of teaching, scholasticism, yeah. studying uh, um, uh, theology and the Bible within its own locus, its own uh, commonplaces, right? Uh, doctrine of God, doctrine of humanity, Christ, salvation. They are um, uh, the characteristics of, of uh, scholasticism. And of course, uh, the spirit of humanism always go back to the source. Yeah. He wouldn't let go. Right, I mean, he would go all into the depth of the source that he could mm -hmm. grasp in his time, and that's what makes his biblical commentaries and his lectures so um, uh, so important and and still speak to us today. Yeah, uh, uh, and he was um, uh, sometimes very careful. Uh, not uh, not 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 sometimes. He was always very careful. He was always very careful in reading the, the, the original language, explaining what the Hebrew term is uh, and what the Greek term is and um, what they mean in that context. That's why I still go to Calvin. He is my friend. Um, um, before I write my sermon on any, uh, uh, any passage, I will, you know, after reading this, uh, the, the biblical text, I will read Calvin first and see what he says <laughs> yeah it's it is it's pretty remarkable that yeah even 500 years maybe less than that after he wrote some of these things i mean they're still the best when it comes to mm -hmm. almost any book almost any almost any uh topic it's you still go to calvin first because i mean nobody's nobody's topped them yes yeah and then <clears throat> a lot of uh calvin's response was to the medieval church and how they had um the medieval church had a lot of interpretation of the Bible that was more allegorical, tropological, and uh, analog anagogical. Um, and he, it's not saying that he didn't do any of those, but he did say that um, that we only read the Bible based on literal and historical meanings. So um, could you maybe, uh, this is kind of an added question right now, but could you explain that a little bit more? Because I think it's important people understand his response to the medieval church on how they interpreted the Bible. Okay. All right. Well, uh, uh, let me be clear here. First of all, uh, for Calvin, when you read the scripture, read it on the plain sense of the scripture, all right? Uh, 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 I will go back to that. So um, the most important word is the plain sense of what the Bible says, meaning what does the passage say within the context of that passage? What, what does it mean in the 
plain sense of where it is written. Okay, so so I want to emphasize that first. Okay, but now back to the medieval um, uh, exegesis, uh, the uh, the for the, the so-called fourfold exegesis is that in the uh, um, in the medieval time, and it, it started already in, in the early years. Augustine used this this methodology too. Um, so uh, there are four layers: the the literal, the the analogical, the um, anthropological then and anagogical right so the literal the literal meaning of the scripture is uh, again what is written so let's say when you think about uh, the 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 uh, the city of jerusalem you think about the city in israel uh, the the literal but then uh, beyond the literal meaning uh, is the allegorical meaning now the allegorical Allegorical uh, meaning is uh, what we call we can call as the spiritual meaning. What does this mean to you spiritually? How how do you internalize Jerusalem? And then this interpretation can go far into people's imagination. Uh, well, Jerusalem could be the stronghold. Uh, when you think about uh, uh, the fortified city of Jerusalem, or Jerusalem can can mean um, uh, the city of David, and then of course uh, when you think about the city of David, you think about kingdom, kingship, power, what have you, right? But so that, that that's the next layer, and then the topological is uh, is how does this teach us? Uh, so uh, uh, what's the uh, it's, it's 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 about uh, the teaching in uh, about uh, the the conduct what do we do um, based on what we read and then also the anagogical is the future meaning the eschatological reading when you read uh, uh, Jerusalem you think about the second coming uh, so so, uh, so these are the the four layers of uh, uh, of meanings um, uh, emphasized in uh, medieval exegesis. And uh, for Kelvin, this could be too much, especially in the allegorical interpretation, because as I said, your imagination can go really far and uh, uh, who can control that? So where's the boundary? Uh, and so um, uh, oftentimes, oftentimes Kelvin would say, don't go into the allegorical interpretation. However, at times, Calvin would still interpret uh, a biblical passage allegorically. Um, so you say, well, wait a second, uh, uh, Dr. Tianto, uh, is he inconsistent here? No, 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 don't look at it that way. That's why I was explaining uh, at the beginning of this uh, answer is that Calvin emphasizes the plain sense of the scripture. So if the, uh, if this, uh, uh, if the passage in the plain sense requires you to think allegorically, then it is within uh, um, uh, uh, within reach, then you can explain it allegorically. But don't always, don't always do allegorical interpretation. That's the, uh, uh, the, the, the message here. Don't always emphasize or, or, or expose the allegorical interpretation because um, uh, in those days, the allegorical interpretation could be the number one uh, uh, um, um, emphasis that people did and that could lead people too far from the passage itself. Okay. Um, <clears throat> three, three really important, I think, uh, terms and and 
things that I think that people would want to know um, is his his under, his response to Michael uh, Cervetas on the doctrine of the Trinity, which is very crucial, um, would later stir controversy in Geneva and Calvin's life, right? So you don't need to go like you could have a con- concise kind of explanation of of that. Um, uh, why why people think that he is the one that um, explain predestination and the tulip. All right. Number one, the surfetus, the surfetus affair. I, I want to emphasize first that surfetus was a heretic and he was already declared a heretic even by Rome. All right. Uh, uh, but since their youth, uh, Calvin and Surfetus already crossed paths. So uh, he already knew Surfetus uh, for a long time um, before the, the affair itself. But then Surfetus was already condemned as a heretic in Vian, uh by the Church of Rome. So in those days, whether you are a, a Catholic or whether you are Protestant, Trinitarian heresy was something to to um, uh, uh, to avoid as far as possible. You don't want to be labeled as a trinitarian heretic, right? And the the condemnation, the, the punishment for this kind of heresy is the burning at the stakes. So that was not Calvin's invention. That was not Geneva's uh, 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 practice only. That was common in all over Western Europe at that time. So again, Surfetus was already condemned as a heretic. He was about to be uh, uh, executed, but he was able to flee from his jail. He ran away. So even the, the, uh, the uh, in, in this case, the Roman Catholic Church already uh, uh, um, uh, made a, a, a picture of him and the picture was burnt in effigy, meaning that in the eyes of the Catholic Church at that time, Surfetus was already dead, right? Now, Surfetus ran away and I don't know why, what was his logic? He ran to Geneva. And then of course he was caught again and then he was tried again. So there's a long trial and Geneva did not just stand by itself in, um, in its condemnation, right? So, so Geneva w- was also together with the other churches um, in the area, right? The, 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 the Protestant churches. And all the decisions were, well, this is a heresy and Surfetus is worthy to die. Now, the, 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 the decision for, uh, for, the, uh, for the burning of Surfetus did not come from Calvin. I want to emphasize this. Now, I, I didn't have the time to talk about it here, but uh, uh, Calvin's relationship with the Geneva City Council was not always smooth. The beginning, it was rocky. He was even uh, deposed from Geneva between 1538 and 1541, and then Geneva invited him back to, uh, uh, um, um, to Geneva uh, beginning from September 1541. So again, uh, the relationship between Calvin and the city council uh, was not always smooth. But they worked it out. Uh, it's a topic on its own. But then back to the Surfetus affair is that 
the decision came from the city council, not from Kelvin. Well, was Kelvin part of the conversation? Yes, of course, as a pastor. But then again, uh, my emphasis here is that the, 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 the decision came from the city council. So you cannot blame Calvin for the burning of Surfatus, right? So again, there are different events already. There are many events already where Surfatus uh, um, uh, was already condemned, right? So here, um, finally, Surfatus was burned at the stake. Now, people who do not like Calvin would put all the blame on Calvin. Well, I say no. Learn the history. Read the read the uh, the uh, the uh, um, uh, the record of Surfetus's trial. So again, also it's not that Surfetus was uh, 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 discovered in Geneva and then condemned the next day. No, there was a long, long trial where Surfetus was given um, uh, the opportunity to speak. Right. So so that's that's very important. And so uh, it is. A heresy to be avoided. Uh, the Trinitarian heresy is to be avoided, and Surfetus was uh, executed not because of Calvin. That's my emphasis. Right uh, now, uh, predestination. The doctrine of predestination is not the central dogma of Calvin. I already explained when you read the Institutes, it starts with knowledge of God, um, uh, uh, Creator, knowledge of the God, the re uh, Redeemer, and then uh, knowledge of God, knowledge of our uh, of ourselves. And Calvin explains the Bible and the reality of how we are related to God um, based on uh, God's revelation in Scripture. Now. If you see that we are all sinners and that there is nothing that we can contribute to our salvation, again, back to Luther, uh, uh, salvation by, by grace alone, no good work will amount to our salvation, then we will see that salvation is fully and truly God's work, God's decision, God's love toward us. So, because God is eternal and uh, in his uh, depth of his wisdom, God chooses us from before the foundation of the, the world. Now, this was not Calvin. This was St. Paul! Mm -hmm. So Calvin did not uh, start the doctrine of predestination. And about uh, 400 years after Paul, there was another giant in the history of Christianity. It was St. Augustine who already talked about uh, uh, the predestination of the saints. So Calvin did not invent the doctrine of predestination. Calvin only reiterated what was already there and what is already in scripture. So I hope you understand this, right? I hope the, uh, the audience uh, could, could see this. Calvin only spelled this out based on his studies. Again, he didn't create this. He didn't wake up one morning and said, aha, today I want to be the biggest predestination theologian ever lived in the world, past, present, and future. No, he was just explaining what the Bible said, and he was just re-explaining of what other um, uh, theologians, thinkers uh, have said before him.
Yeah. And the, the, the acronym TULIP uh, um, did not come from Calvin. So this is one whole, not just lecture, but one whole course for a whole semester uh, to explain. So the acronym TULIP uh, was very modern, uh, 20th century America, uh, but it, was, it, it is uh, 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 intended as, um, as a mnemonic device for the five points of the Synod of Dort that was in the early 17th century. So Calvin already died uh, uh, by then. And um, um, you are familiar with Jacob Arminius and the Armenian uh, theology, and then the remonstrance in the Netherlands uh, um, in the early 17th century, and then the Synod of Dort that uh, uh, dealt with uh, the remonstrance. Well, the five, so to say that Calvin uh, started the five points is also wrong. Because Calvin did not. I mean, you know, those five points were started by the remonstrants, the, uh, uh, the followers of Arminius in the Netherlands, not in Geneva anymore. Think geography, think time. This was a new, a new era uh, in the Reformation history. Uh, so the remonstrants brought up the five points and then the Synod of Dort responded to the five points in uh, uh, um, what we now call the five points of Calvinism. Uh, so this is a whole different discussion on uh, 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 the relationship between Calvin and Calvinism. I talk a little bit about that in my book. But uh, then again, I want um, uh, uh, all of you to understand that Calvin did not start the five points. Calvin did not start the acronym TULIP. And the acronym TULIP itself is a modern mnemonic device to to make it easier to think about the five points of the Synod of Dort that were, that were the response to the remonstrance. It's a very long uh, string of thought here. Yeah, good deal. Thank you so much. Awesome, thank you. Well, thank you for, uh, thank you for writing this book. Thank you for introducing um, our audience and, and many others, I'm sure, to um, the thought of Calvin. I know there's kind of long biographies of Calvin. He's obviously got his institute, there's, there's this kind of guides to the institutes, but you, you put both of these together, kind of a short biography, what we need to know about Calvin coming into his institutes. Um, so, so thank you for, for introducing us and our, our listeners to um, this background, his institutes. Um, and it's, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure having you on to talk about this. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share uh, um, the life of my good friend Calvin to, uh, to both of you and to our audience. Yeah. This is a privilege. Awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. If you guys, uh, yeah, go to uh, IVP, pick up this book, buy it for your pastor, buy it for your friends. Um, yeah, if you guys don't want to read 600, 700 page um, uh, volumes of, uh, of Calvin's life, you want to read a 200 page volume of Calvin's life and his institutes. This is a, a great way to start. So thank you. And um, yeah, best of We'll be praying for your transition to uh, to Calvin and, and your, your teaching, and, and hope you have a, a good celebration of Calvin's birth at a Calvin Seminary, the yeah. place named after Calvin. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank well, you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, we'll see you next time. See you next time. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And if you go to our show notes, as a reminder, there is a link to Patreon and you can find out how to become a bridge builder.
Yeah, we've got five different support levels and the levels go from uh, just a, a $5 donation to help keep the lights on and, and get some equipment all the way up to you guys get to be part of our decision-making process for episodes, for content, for authors, for guests, whoever it may be. And you guys get consistent conversations, maybe even since our episodes, the second that we record them, instead of having to wait for episodes to come out. So look at that, see what you want to do. As part of that, we have a goal to get about $1,000 a month. That's to cover some costs, get some new equipment, and just hire some people as well. And also, if you guys can rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on any one of your podcasting platforms, this is the number one way, besides word of mouth, that word gets out about what we're doing. So we hope to see you guys next week.